Hello and welcome to the MISAM podcast. This is the podcast in which we talk to MISAM members and associates about their current and ongoing research into the medieval world of Central Europe. I'm Karen Culver. Today it is my pleasure to meet and talk with Agnes Flora about her ongoing research into urban demography, migration and masters in late medieval Transylvania. Agnes studied history and the history of art at Cluj-Napoca in Romania and then took an MA and PhD in medieval studies at the Central European University here in Budapest, defending her doctoral thesis in 2014. The dissertation, A Matter of Honour, the Leading Urban Elite in 16th Century Transylvania, was subsequently published by Brepols, the Belgian publishing house, in 2019. She currently works for the Romanian National Archive in Cluj and teaches archival science at Babes Boye University in Cluj. Her major field of interest is medieval urban history, development of urban governments and the formation of elites and urban identities. In her non-working hours, Agnes loves experimental cooking, a woman after my own heart, Scandinavian movies and cats, preferably black cats, but we all know that all cats are perfectly wonderful. Yeah, that's true. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> that was a very nice presentation. Well, welcome to the Mesem podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Um, medieval citizenship, which is what we are looking at today. We know that medieval citizenship related to towns and cities, and very rarely to countries. And clearly from your research into Cluj and Sibiru, this was the situation in Transylvania. What do we mean by citizenship in the medieval period? Well, citizenship is actually not an invention. The institution of the citizenship is not an invention of medieval period. It's actually an ancient term, and it was invented by, by the Greeks and uh, especially to protect their freedom. And basically it was the same in the medieval period. So those who belong to a city received this citizenship. Being a citizen meant to be a member of a community, of a privileged community, and uh, you were protected by that community, but also you had to perform a series of duties. You had to be loyal to that community and then you have to pay the taxes. But you also make profit of the privileges the town had. You can sell your goods on the market. You could trade with goods without paying taxes because you were belonging to that community. Uh, if you had a misconduct, you were not allowed to be judged in front of a foreign court. You were judged in front of your own people. But also you had to fulfill some conditions to receive citizenship. And those conditions was to get a property, then to get married, which apparently wasn't that easy because uh, we know that uh, some young people postponed the marriage for a long time. And for instance, at a certain point, the town council in Cluj decided not to accept a promise of marriage. When somebody applied for citizenship, he actually had to be married because young people started to postpone 
the marriage and to benefit from a very f- from a free life then you need to uh, you had to have a craft you have to have something for living to do something for living and uh, these were personal conditions you have to fulfill and then there was a administrative phase of getting a, a citizenship so you had to pay a tax and it's very interesting because in Transylvania it was based on equity so poor pay less paid less and the rich paid more which is very interesting and then started this more high festive part of uh, receiving citizenships when the the aspirants were presented in front of the council the certificate of decent stock was presented because the person who applied for a citizenship had to be of legitimate birth and you had to prove this with a certificate and these certificates are very very interesting and unfortunately we don't really have many such documents preserved those would be an excellent source for for doing research on migration but unfortunately these documents were very personal documents so these documents were issued for for the person and actually traveled with the person and uh, once the man died document lost all all its purposes so after he proved his decent origins uh, then you had to have two bailsmen and uh, then the two bailsmen presented the the young man in front of the of the council that he was worthy of being accepted among the citizens of the town and the final act was the pledging the oath and then recording his name in the town book and starting with that point he became the citizen full right citizen of the town that's interesting because a number of my friends have over the years changed their citizenship and i know they've had to go through very similar processes of not proving legitimacy of birth but proving good upstanding person and they have to swear an oath of allegiance and have their name recorded it hasn't changed no it hasn't changed much it hasn't changed much because people always have this desire when they get something to get it uh, in a more festive way i think yes and as states do nowadays uh, cities did the same way in medieval times they wanted to have a control over the people moving in the town Mm. Now that brings me to a question I really wanted to ask. You you've indicated the push and the pull factors for the migrants moving into a town. The push being a desire for a better life and the pull they've got freedom in the town, they can trade in the town. What were the push and the pull factors for a town to attract migrants and move them towards becoming citizens well um, towns were always in demographic deficit why because of the high uh, um, they were more exposed to epidemics for instance if a disease came then more people died in the town than in the countryside 
there were not so many births as they were in the countryside. And the other thing that urban people were very mobile. They moved from one time to another, searching for better possibilities. And they were also, they had also a vertical mobility, which very interesting. They seeked to get integrated into the nobility. So they always needed new persons. They always needed new, new blood. Uh, but the towns needed also people, not necessarily only citizens, but the citizens were paying the taxes. And the town always had to have incomes, and incomes came from the taxes. But they also needed people to do, uh, to do some uh, auxiliary works that citizens were not doing. And these were the people who were living actually the ta- in the town. They were not citizens. They were not paying taxes or paid less taxes, but they were doing communal works. They were cleaning the streets. They were working on the lands of the town. And there were also separate groups serving the towns, like the gypsies. There was a community of gypsies in Cluj, and these gypsies were doing, um, for instance, gathering strain dogs from the street were cleaning the streets or they were chasing out the people who were banned from the town. And for that, they were allowed to live in the outskirts of the town. So they got some kind of protection from the town, but they never became citizens of the town. But but neither did the serfs, for instance. I, I was wondering if the gypsies, the Roma people would actually live within the town. No, 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 in the outskirts. Mm. They were not living within the walls of the town, no, in the outskirts. And they were also very mobile. Yes. So they went and came. But there was more or less a constantly uh, presence of gypsies in Cluj. And all this is recorded in the archives? Yes, 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 yes. We have we have beautiful uh, sources from the 16th century regarding the town administration of Cluj. And it's very interesting because it is in Hungarian. So they are turning quite early to a vernacular and they are very nice and very well preserved. And that's a good, good uh, thing for researchers. I know from my own research in Western Europe, the sons of citizens were generally granted citizenship. They were born to be a citizen of their town when they got to be a certain age. Was this also true of Cluj and Sibiru? And if not, how did the native sons become citizens? So yes, uh, native sons, and they are called native sons in the sources, which is very, very nice. It's called Ush Fiu in Hungarian, native son. And um, they received automatically um, citizenship after a, a certain age. But before being a citizen, full right citizen recorded in the town book, they were treated separately as the normal um, inhabitants of the town. Uh, for instance, for minor misconduct, they were just fined as the citizens were fined and were not put in the cage, for instance. So they had a different treatment. I thought they had to have property. Uh, If we look at the sources, and especially we look at the text lists, we may find many sons paying taxes and being tenants. 
So living together, for instance, with the widow mother who owns the house and the son is the tenant, but he is paying taxes. Um, and I think that a co-ownership to a certain degree was also accepted for citizenship. Usually the youngest son inherited the house and uh, uh, the elder the, the workshop. But usually the workshop was linked to the house. They were not separate units. And that means owning a workshop was probably enough. And if the older son inherited his father's workshop and the younger boy got just the house, it would imply that the workshop was more prestigious, more valuable, of more use than the house. Um, I don't know if it was greater value, but it was a question of passing by the craft and the tools. So the, the first son always learned the craft of the father. And they had to, to take over at a certain point the, the workshop of their father. A few minutes ago, you mentioned that people could move from one town to another. Was that common? Was it normal from people to go from a countryside into becoming an urban citizen and then move to another town? And did they move long distances or quite short? Yes, it was quite normal. It was quite frequent. Of course, more people came from the towns in Transylvania or from the countryside because, because of the distance. But there are people coming from the low countries, from German towns, uh, and even from Italy and moving to the town. Of course, they were not always moving directly to Cluj or directly to Sibiu, but they had a route. And uh, there is a very nice document. It is very interesting because it's a birth certificate. I mean, not a birth certificate. It is a certificate of decent origins. And it was issued by uh, the council of a small town close to Magdeburg, Wandsleben, for a young person called Hans Knabe. And the interesting part of this very nice and very beautifully written documents, it is in German, on the back side, there is a small note and says that this document was presented in front of the council of Kosice in 1592. So from 1584, when the document was issued in Wandsleben, this Hans Knabet ended up in Kosice and he wanted to become a citizen of Kosice. But the interesting part is that I found this document in Transylvania, in the Banffy family archive. And uh, this document came to Transylvania with the owner. It was not traveling alone. It was traveling with, with this Hans Knabe. And, and I was searching for him in the records and I couldn't find him. But we have some missing years in the town book. But there is another thing. These people traveling from one town to another many times they uh, changed their names. So this Hans Knabe might have turned into a Hans something, and he might even change Knabe, means boy in German. And uh, just to prove that people many times change their names, 
I have a very nice example of a goldsmith. His name was Budai Tomás. Budai Tomás, it sounds Budai. like he's uh, from Buddha. Exactly. Thomas from Buddha, in translation. And in one of the records, it said that he learned a craft abroad and he made his masterpiece abroad, but he was accepted in the guild in Cluj. And then uh, later on, you know how this research was uh, on this Buddha, it was like a, uh, having a relationship, getting a relationship with somebody. The, the more you get to know the person, the more you, you get to like him and uh, and then you have a crash. And uh, oh, I hope I, it doesn't sound like a commercial for a matching site. <laughs> but this is how this, this research, which is wasn't a conscious research on Buddha, developed. Uh, so first I found his name and then found out that he was abroad, from abroad. And, and I, at that point, I was absolutely sure that he came from Buddha because he had the name Buddha Tamash. And so Tamash from Buddha. And then uh, became master of the guild in the uh, 1570s. And that was uh, an important strike of the goldsmith's journeyman from Cluj because they were banned uh, from the guild in Sibiu. The goldsmith masters in Sibiu decided to accept only Germans to the guild. So the Hungarian journeymen from Cluj were banned and they started a strike, which is very interesting at this period. It is. I'm, they I, refused. I've never heard yes. of, uh, of particularly craftsmen going on strike. Yes, they refused to work. And these, there was a strike in 1573 and 1576. And this strike ended up in a trial in front of the prince and being the head of the of the Gosmis Guild in Cluj. Budai uh, made a statement in front of the prince and we have this statement. That was very interesting for me to see that he he had so so nice arguments. He was fluent in, in expressing. So it was obvious that he was a learned person. Uh, and he knew how to speak in front of the prince, in front of lawyers or in, in front of the court. And uh, later on, when I uh, started to do research on the political elite of the town of Cluj and Sibiu, then I found out that he actually had an important professional career, but also a very nice and very a sudden political career. He was uh, elected in the Great Council of the town in Cluj, the Council of the 100 Men, and then got elected three times a uh, prime judge and three times a royal judge. So he became a very important person. And uh, I started to know him better and better. But then I was, when I looked to some uh, court records, I found out some personal details about him, which is very rare. Usually we don't know about the townspeople much because we have pragmatic sources and pragmatic sources do not tell much about the person. But then I found out that he had actually two wives, seven daughters and one son. And he had a, had a trial with uh, three of his daughters because of their dowry. And we have his testimony. And again, 
There is a very well-constructed testimony with good arguments when he expresses his qualities, that being an honest and being a good person. And all this from someone who migrated from another city. Yes, so at least we presume that he came from Buddha. And in, uh, by the end of the century, uh, in the 1580s, he became uh, the head of the mint in Sibiu. Um, and there is a diary of a goldsmith from Cluj called uh, Janos Cementes. And Cementes says many bad things about Buddhism. And at a certain point he says, Oh, that Italian who calls himself Buddha Itamash. So at that, I, at that point I found out that actually he came from Italy. So someone from Italy obviously moved to Buddha. That's not so unusual because Buddha was beginning to pull in people from Italy. And then he moved on to Cluj and then from being a migrant became a guildmaster. Yes, and uh, we were speaking earlier about the push factors in migration. And obviously it was an economic push for Buddha moving from Italy to Buddha. Then came the siege of Buddha and probably he fled from Buddha. So there was another push, another reason, which was a political reason, a war banned him from from this territory and, and moved. Ah, so the story of Buddha Tomash illustrates so much of what we are talking about here today, that you can move several times, as as modern people do. You can move from one region to another. The pull factors are finance and the push factors, as for migration today, the push factors are so often fear, war, famine. Uh, insecurity. Insecurity, yes, yes. It's amazing. Um, he must have been a very special person to be able to start again and achieve so much. Well, I find him extraordinary. Maybe he wasn't. We will never find out. Maybe he indeed was a difficult person. Who knows? But he had an extraordinary career. And I'm absolutely sure that he brought something. He brought new knowledge with him and implemented locally. That is amazing. There is another a form of migration in the 16th period with the Reformation. Many people from Transylvania are going to Wittenberg, for, for instance, uh, for studying. And they are bringing knowledge from the West to this region. And I say, uh, I would say now it just came to my mind a very prolific example. Beer. Brewing. Well, brewing started to became a mass production in Cluj in the 16th century. And there were humanists who came back from Wittenberg, where there were so many breweries. In every second house, there was a brewery. And, and these students, those from Transylvania, went back to the city and wanted to start a business in brewing. So this is a knowledge. This is a knowledge that came with a kind of migration. Yeah, nothing changes. Migrants bring new ideas, maybe new difficulties, but new ideas, invention, um, energy. 
Well, definitely waves of migration because uh, these push factors might cause a wave. At that point, probably it is difficult for a town when many people are coming. But then if you can take the best out of this migration wave, then you can benefit. You, you've mentioned waves of migrants and therefore presumably of citizens as well. Roughly, how many citizens were created each year within Cluj or Sibiru? Well, less than 10. 10 per year, that was enough for supplying the manpower, the lack of manpower in the city. However, there is one striking year, uh, 1599, when more than, no, exactly 86% were recorded in the town book, which is exceptionally high. Wow. From 10 on average to 86. Why, what happened? Well, so there was a war going on. And we know from the records there were many refugees around the town, starting from uh, 1591, but especially after uh, 1593. Or there is another thing, the town was in great need. They needed desperately money, and they decided, there is a record in the town council minutes, saying that we are going to put a tax on the cohabitants. So maybe those who were living within the town but fulfilled the criteria of being citizens but did not want to pay taxes, did not apply for citizenship. But at the point when the town council decided to tax them anyway, if they were citizens or were not citizens, then decided better I become a citizen of the town to benefit from the rights the town has. Um. One in one of your papers that I've read, you mentioned the loyal oath that new citizens have to swear. And part of it was that they should have no interaction with traders or merchants from other towns and cities. And I wondered, how on earth can you be a trader if you promise to have no interaction with traders from other towns, what's the point? I mean, and if not, how did Kluge make money from trade? I think we should understand this sentence in the sense that you should not divulge any secrets to strangers. Not to have contacts that might bring strangers with bad intention to the town. So... Uh, I think keeping the town safe was the key element. The truth is that the town of Cluj was very reluctant towards merchants until a certain point when they needed more taxes. And then they said, okay, let's accept merchants also as citizens. In the records, uh, until the 1580s, you hardly can find a merchant among the new citizens and then they start their number to grow visibly after that period. And that then takes us back to that push-pull factor for creating citizens. They want security but they also need resources, financial and human. Um, We've talked quite a lot about 
migration and becoming a citizen. And you've also mentioned Budai Tomash, who, from being a migrant and possibly an Italian migrant into Buddha and then on to Cluj, became a very much a leading citizen. How did a citizen, who might well have been a migrant, how did a citizen become a, a councillor, gain civil office, and was it a privilege or an onerous position? Well, that's a good question. Well, basically, if a person, either a migrant or native son, got citizenship, at that point, he was eligible to the town council. But this is theoretically. Normally, there were some conditions the person had to fulfill. And not only economic issues, but also moral conditions. And the Buddha sound statutes, which were applied also in Cluj, says very nicely at a certain point that a councilman had to be prudent and diligent, prudence and circumspectus, not indolent, a town judge to be honored, wise and powerful, a notary has to be man of great knowledge, a wise person. And the statute also says who are not eligible for public functions. So the avaricious people, because they are greedy, uh, drinkers, and I think heavy drinkers, because their heads were empty. Uh, prodigal persons, because were not reliable. Uh, ignorance, because they had no brains. Poor people, because they were, they were wanting. Criminals, because they were subject of heavy rumors. Rumor, in medieval period, was a social weapon. And if somebody was subject of a rumor, it was very, very difficult to combat. Heretics were not allowed to public function because they had no faith. <laughs> so basically, we have the profile, the perfect profile of uh, office holders. But it doesn't say anything about they had to be Hungarian-speaking. It doesn't exclude foreigners. Theoretically not. But those who... Uh, entered the community of the citizens, they had to join one of the two communities because in Cluj there was a parity system between the Hungarians and the Saxons. But also Budai, he was an Italian and he integrated into the Hungarian community in Cluj. Mm, and I suppose the integration would be learning enough of the language to be able to communicate effectively. Um, uh, probably, yes. Yes. Um, Agnes, for my final question, we see many changes brought into our cities by migration. Having been a migrant for much of my life, I know what it's like from the migrant's perspective. How, in the medieval time, in Cluj and Sibiru, how did migrants and new citizens change the towns they moved to? Well, let's start with a, with a very interesting case. And this is a a charter of King Louis I of Hungary uh, issued in 1370. And this was for the benefit of the town. And it's actually a guarantee letter for those tenant peasants who wanted to move in the town. And so far, nothing 
nothing exceptional, I would say, because several such guarantee letters from other region of medieval Hungary. But usually this guarantee was valid for one year and one day. But in this case, it was unlimited. So it was a higher royal protection for those who moved in the town, who wanted to move in the town and could. Um, and there is a sentence in this charter, which I find so nice. And it says, we give this guarantee because we want to decorate the town with the multitude of people. And wo- which were the consequences of this guarantee letter? So obviously the town needed uh, manpower for agricultural works. And I presume that after this guarantee letter, many people from the hinterland of the town moved in the town. And Cluj had a very restricted hinterland, not as it was in case of Sibiu or the other big important Saxon towns, which were in the middle of a sea of free people. So Cluj needed to attract these peasants. And after this guarantee, and after the, the moving in of peasants, their Hungarian outskirt of this city started to develop. And probably the fact that in the 15th century, the town got to this parity system between Saxons and Hungarians is due to this guarantee letter from the 14th century from King Louis I. I'm not saying that only Hungarian peasants could move in, but they had to be Christians and had to be Catholic because they had to integrate, had to join one of the parishes of the town. Okay, so that then encouraged Hungarian more than the German people. Encouraged peasants. And ah. around around the city, there were properties of noblemen. They were not Saxons coming from, from German territories. They were not free persons around the town. They were more peasants. And that would have changed the whole style of the town. Exactly. And then the town develop this parity system. Yes, I can see your point. Yes, and also the character of the town was different. The whole yes. development of the town uh, was different than, for instance, in Sibiu. Sibiu remained mostly merchant towns. Cluj never became a merchant, I would say. By the end of the 16th century, maybe yes. But uh, they developed and they focused on crafts. Because... You know, a peasant who moved in the town and got citizenship and learned the craft. It was a possibility for him to become a free person and to build up a business. For trading, you need a capital. Those people did not have capital. Mm. They could invest in knowledge, but not in long-distance trade. Yes, a very, very interesting point about a source of migrants. And... The source indicates the style of person, and that will change the town. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. And I think this is always what fascinates me, and I love medieval history because we can always see that reflection, that echo today in the towns that we live in. 
Well, I was so found this medieval and early modern period uh, extraordinary. Yeah, I think I find all of it extraordinary. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> there are so many interesting topics to look at. And on that interesting note, unfortunately, we will have to leave it there. Agnes, thank you so much for coming over to Budapest to talk to me, to talk to Misen in general about your amazing research into the archives, the lives and the citizens of Cluj. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And Karen, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Today I have been talking to Agnes Flora about her work on Cluj, migration and masters. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I found it absolutely fascinating. And if you have research that you're doing into Central Europe medieval period, please contact me through the Mesem board or Mesem website administrator. In the meantime, I'm Karen Culver. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>